This is episode 26. They are a comedy duo that recently completed a sold-out three-show run of their popular variety show, Rip City. And this is only one part of this powerhouse pair. They produce, perform, and teach comedy in and around the Holy City. Besides that, they have taken their act on the road and performed at numerous festivals and events like New York Sketch Fest, the the Dallas Comedy Festival, the Sacramento Comedy Festival, just to name a few. This is Mari and Henry, and they are Nameless Numberhead. Hello. That's very nice. (laughs) I hopefully I do y'all justice. I mean, when I was reading up on y'all, there's a lot. Y'all have been very busy in your lives. Too much, almost. Yeah, pre pre kids, we we really got around, <laughs> like in a good way though. Like performing, yeah, more, everywhere. Yeah, more free time. Is yeah. there a bad way to get around? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was that was like our our favorite thing. We would specifically look for cities that our friends lived in, or if we had a friend within an eight hour radius of the city we were in, we're like, well, we'll just pop in and visit them too and make it a, a full blown road trip. Yeah. Well, and that's what the fun part was. Cause I mean, y'all met Henry, you're from Charleston. Mari, you're from Pennsylvania. Massachusetts. No. Massachusetts. So, uh, Not <laughs> and apparently I didn't do my research good enough. Cause I just messed that up. So, and y'all well, met you, Chicago. Stellar research so far. I mean, I mean I'm impressed. I mean, I feel bad. Uh, I, like, keep holding my phone up and it's blurred out. I was like, I wish I could see all the notes. <laughs> Extensive notes. Well done. I was like, um, I can't even remember where Mari's from. I'm sorry. Forgive me. It's okay. The state is so small. <laughs> the region is small. But it's still very important. But y'all are from, like, two completely separate regions. And y'all rendezvous and meet in Chicago. Yeah. Correct. And this is where this duo was born oh yeah okay both drawn to chicago via the comedy scene um got kind of roped into the theater scene by by proxy you know we had um yeah we had friends starting a theater company that was devising work through improvisation and so it was a group of umass kids which is where mario went to college um, and then a group of College of Charleston kids who mm-hmm. had met doing comedy and theater in Chicago. They put together a company. So when we moved up, we kind of got sent right to this company and started doing work like right away, working mm-hmm. on shows. It was pretty crazy. Henry and I have like the same like college into like acting trajectory because he's just a year older than me, but it was like, him kind of chomping at the bit, like end of college, being like, I should just leave. I should just go to Chicago now and study comedy. Mm-hmm. And he finishes and goes to to Chicago. And the next year, I'm a senior in college being like, I should just leave. Like, I should just go Straight to Chicago right here. now and go. So like these same kind of mentalities, Henry moves to the city and goes to see a show. And they're like, oh, your ticket's free because you're in the next one. And it's like the next year I move in and they're like, hey, will you take tickets? Um, and also you're in the next show. Like we both had very similar stories of just being like truly like just yanked and put into this company. So, I mean, it was basically already like predetermined that y'all were meant to be. And this was already <laughs> yeah. decided for you. Yeah. 
We were like the whole, the company that we worked for was like the full experience. So from start to finish. So like the second you walk into the space, you're like greeted by sort of the themes and the vibe of the show. So we, there was this show that we did about the origins of Tupperware. Um, and it was a musical. And so the whole like lobby was decked out with like, 1950s trinkets and we were all dressed up kind of 50s style and so um as the show took place mari and i were just in the lobby like doing bits and like playing games and doing sort of like interactive pranks with the audience and stuff it was so so that was initial connection which was tupperware yeah tupperware Y'all fell in love over tupperware Tupperware. (laughs) do you remember any of like the songs from that were about Tupperware? Like, can you still, I mean, you don't have to sing them right now, but like. Oh, yeah. Okay. If I could just have two hours. It's Tupperware. Uh, Tupperware. And then <laughs> we have this friend, Kevin Stangler, who was in the show. And he had this disgusting note that like still gives me like full body goosebumps. Because you go, now Dolores. And it was like this disgusting <laughs> I, I mean, it was awful. Like, we rip on him so hard. He's he's a great singer. But this note, we're like, ah, oh, it's so gross. And like, yeah. Think about it. All the shows that we did, the majority of them had, um, like, soundtracks. Like, all original music that just, like, just stays with us. Well, and I'm so glad you brought up music because, you know, it's a music podcast. I know when Henry and I were talking, I was like, well, I kind of want to talk about music, but, you know, I know comedy is an improv is kind of like the center of where Nameless Numberhead and Rip City and everything kind of evolves around. But, you know, I would love to hear your opinion on just if there is any sort of relationship or role between comedy and improv and music big time yeah <laughs> big time yeah. <laughs> um, yeah we were just talking about this before we jumped on with you is that um our our kind of whole relationship with comedy in a small town is based on what we enjoy from the bands that we see Mm. Um, and sort of the unique qualities the stage presence the ensemble nature of bands um, has really influenced the way we approach comedy because comedy can be such a solo sport a lot of times Mm -hmm. um, especially stand-up or if you're writing jokes Um, not so much with like ensemble comedy which is like improvisation or sketch where you're writing and performing together as an ensemble but there's something, um, you know, when we moved to Charleston, it was sort of like we felt this pull, like all of our friends went to bigger cities, New York and L.A., and we were sort of like not not totally feeling the hustle in another mm-hmm. town. Um, so we came because I had connections here, and we are like, oh, we can maybe grow a small comedy brand in a small city. And, um, you know, small city, it's, it's, it's way less – going on and happening than than like a Chicago or something like that but the cool things that were happening were sort of like bands and these small pop-up shows and um yeah our buddy uh, Charles Carmody was producing like Uh these offbeat shows under the banner of what was it Mirias or uh we kind of immediately kind of like saddled up with the musicians of of Charleston Mm -hmm. um just for yeah similar views like um 
kind of more of like that driving force behind it. Um, the comedy here kind of has like a very like hobby, hobby players like jump in when you can or like, oh, after work or do whatever. It kind of has this like, um, it's like a, like a recreational sport, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you're on the, you're on the basketball team, you yeah. know, and, and, and bands were more so like talking yeah. about the art, you know, really working on their craft and touring and stuff like that. And that was finding cool venues, yeah. making sick posters. Like there, it was like a fully fledged like idea of like something I'm going to give you of like, come to the show. Mm-hmm. It's got these things. So that we're like, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's super fun. That definitely fit fit our aesthetic, you know, and just tons of, like, in that era was just a ton of cool shows in Charleston Mm -hmm. um, that were, like, directly influential to the show that we eventually built, which was Nameless Numberhead, you know, as it came came together. Um, And you've had musicians perform as well, like, in the Rip City, um, like, when I was reading... Uh, we have like Joel Hamilton and like Nick Jenkins, Kevin Hanley. So, I mean, you've had musicians also participate yeah. in some of your variety shows as well. Oh. That's just a full like SNL rip of like yeah. music and comedy goes so well together of like every musician, like however creative they are, like they are funny. Like there is like a little seed in there of like, whatever their onstage persona is of like, there's something like you, there's a, a desire to like be a little bit more free. And then every Mm -hmm. comedian just wants to be a rock star. Like it's like this marriage of like, neither is the other thing, but they just complement each other. I think like there's such a, uh, a melody or like a, there's like such a tone with comedy that I think, has like musicality to it which is funny because mm-hmm. I am not musical at all we do musical bits and that is all Henry and I am like white knuckling <laughs> it like holding on for dear life I'm like yeah play that song how can I talk through it how can I a hundred percent avoid singing uh, or playing an instrument have you I thought about rapping um I don't think about rapping <laughs> Not that that is a direct, like, if you can't sing, you should rap or not. I'm not making that insinuation, but I'm just thinking, well, I'm not enough. Like, I have, um, yes, I've taken musical uh, freestyling Um, but yeah, I don't think that's my calling. Um, we, before we left Chicago, the last thing we did was write a musical and, um, thank God Henry just took all the music. Like I would just come home from work and he'd be like, I have this full song. (laughs) And I was like, great. I was like, I will do everything else on this production, um, except touch music. (laughs) Yeah, but very, I have a very strange background in like, like playing in bands, but also loving musical theater. So there's like a weird overlap that influences my work. It's sort of like somewhere between indie rock and musical theater, which is just a wild uh, blend, it seems. Well, Um, it's a a lovely blend. I mean, I think you're taking a lot of like elements from some very distinct creative communities to you know, like that's creating yourself and which I wanted to ask, what was your, if you don't mind sharing, what was your major in college? What was both of y'all's majors? 
Uh, much to the chagrin of my parents, it was theater performance. Okay. So so you are doing what you studied, technically. Yeah. Okay. Mine was yeah. also theater. Okay. Um, but yeah, coming from, but knowing that comedy was ultimately the, the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really, like, it was a great degree to get while never being cast in anything of just like, now the lighting class I took the costuming, the like building, it's like, we are in a lot of ways, like a two person operation of, we make the majority of our props. We make our costumes. We do our own sound um, because we have those of like, just needing to get it done. Mm -hmm. And um, being on the road, we know what it's like to roll up to a theater and handing like a tech person, a, a, a cue sheet being like, and then when we say this, hit this light, and then this song comes on, and don't mess it up because we're fucked. <laughs> like doing all this, like, like, oh, we're just gonna take care of all of that. But okay. also, okay, so this ties into the band thing as well, and this was something that very much went into our process of creating our show, mm-hmm. which was with sketch comedy or with theater or whatever. Like every venue has totally different specs and sizes and, and accommodations. And like, it's just, there's no standard to it. You Mm -hmm. roll up to a comedy venue and you don't know what you're going to get. It might be like a club room that gives you a mic and says, what song do you want me to play? Or it might be like a theater. That's like, do you want the curtain to come? It's like, you have no idea. Everything is completely different. And at a music venue or like a rock club, it's basically You've got the back line, you, you know, you've got the snake that has however many channels, you've got a mixer, you know, you've got a PA, you've got like a standard operation that you can plug into. And that was something watching bands load in, they're like, well, they're just bringing all their equipment. And it's sort of like, it doesn't really matter what the, what the technical specs of the venue are, they're Mm going to plug in and they're going to do their thing. And we're like, that's kind of how we want to approach our our comedy show is like we're selling merch we did we did and and so so that was the thing so instead of having the tech person and having like all this stuff in the theater side of things we just approached our sketch comedy show like we are a band we bring our entire set we bring our lights we bring our sound we run our sound cues from the stage we run our lights from the stage and we basically created our whole technical setup Mm-hmm. on the stage and to circle that back to like the music shows that influenced that we were j- I just remember this for the first time we were talking before there was a show that went down at local 616 it was a Nashville band called Terror Pigeon oh. and they brought this like inflatable set it they was had no joke like an hour and a half setup. they did this crazy set at 616 and they were like like it was like a punk band in like box fans and it made like an arch that they performed in but then they also like while they were playing had a sheet that like that put over the audience play. it was like an experience and it was so fun and when you see shows like that i mean you just how do you not like tap in and just be like that's really fun and more people should be doing mm-hmm. fun stuff at shows we saw the show nowhere at redux and they had like which is lewis cole's project a projection on the back so it's like we just take we just rob everybody of like we're like oh we should do projections like that's cool we should do that like what is the line about the uh, artists borrow uh good artists borrow and great artists steal yeah (laughs) you know it's it's flattering you know (laughs) 
not to apply. I, I think I think everybody borrows a little bit of something yeah. that they're inspired by. Like, oh, I like that. How can I like do something fun with that or, or make it my own and kind of mm-hmm. dial it in. Well, and as you guys, you know, like if you're quote unquote like loading in, like you guys are setting up for a show and you've practiced and y'all are ready to go. You've got your cues, but how do you stay internally flexible during a performance? Because for someone personally like me, like, I don't know if I could ever do what y'all do. That's why I have so much respect for y'all because I am not flexible. Like I sweat at the moment that I think something is going to go off of my plan and so how do you guys maintain that flexibility? It's all a grift. It's all a, it's all a trick. It's a magic trick. It's... I think where we are the opposite of like, I've never been a strong script memorizer. So the way that we rehearse is typically like find the beats. And it's like, at some point we need to get here or we do something enough ways that we kind of have memorized it but like not in a traditional sense um where we are always open to changing it we'll change it depending on the space we're in the people we have like whatever access we have so that that fluidity is awesome because we're not like nothing can go wrong if you don't need Mm -hmm. everything or something um we've had the lights go off in a show we've had enough like derailing things that we can also just be like hey we're people up here like you're people in the audience like we can laugh at the technical difficulty or like that we forgot something but ultimately it's it's more fun we can discover stuff um well i was gonna say there's like a ton of flexibility in the in the material itself mm -hmm. like in the writing like the whole that's our that's our background you know improvisation and sort of like um devised work for theater like our whole training is in this sort of like you know a general idea of what's going to happen but you don't really know you know so any anything can happen in the moment you hope to achieve a certain desired outcome but the technical side is the stuff that's like well that has to work (laughs) that really that really needs to work in a specific way so i i find that more terrifying and again that's why we did our own stuff is because we there's a little bit more control over how things are going to work rather than like tech guy misses a cue right and we're just Mm -hmm. standing there waiting for the cue if we build a bit around a specific cue and and then we put that on somebody else to be like Hey man, it's, this is super easy. We just need you to hit the play button here. And it's like, well, he's, we're meeting him for the first time or whatever. And they're just like, I, I don't know. I'm just yeah. going to take that back where it's like, well, we'll, we'll hit the play button because we know the rhythm of it. And if the bit goes off a little bit, then the technical can kind of follow suit. We had, we were on the road and the batteries in the looping pedal had corroded. Oh, yeah. And just oh, wasn't working. I forget how we remedied that. There was one point where you just didn't have a guitar. Mm-hmm. Was that in San Francisco? Why wouldn't you have had a guitar? Can't remember. But, like, found there was one, one in a green room. Like, everything. Oh, like, yeah, we just, did. like, match up. We're like, can we use this guitar? And everyone's like, we don't know whose it is. And we're like, we're going to use it. <laughs> Yeah, but also being a comedy band where it's like, we're not going to smash it. We're not going like silly with it. And you just have to like lull people and be like, no, we're, we're cool. (laughs) We also took a poster board one time and just wrote the word guitar on it. And I put a guitar strap on the poster board and played that just because, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah. 
That's like, um, did you ever watch the flight of the Concords? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was like that. There was one episode where they didn't have musical instruments and they just played these air instruments the entire show. Do you remember that episode? I was like, that's what made me think of it. But the Concords are amazing. It is. But like, it is. It's it's a common theme of like how many of like the shows that are making us like really laugh are like oh and their music it's like Portlandia is two musicians Flight of the Concord um, the Sloppy Boys is a band mm-hmm. from a sketch group the Birthday Boys that we really like of like there a lot of the time there is some overlap mm-hmm. yeah and it's funny to go back to what you're saying about you know we book a lot of musicians like I I think. Yeah, the local musicians are definitely a huge, like, influence on us. And also, like, it's funny when we talk to our friends who are musicians and we're like, hey, will you play our comedy show? Their initial, most musicians initially go like, well, I'm not that funny. Mm-hmm. Or I don't have any, like, comedy songs. And sort of like, no, 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 no that's not the point. Like, <laughs> you can be funny. You are a funny person. You are a funny, creative person. You are more than welcome to be funny if you'd like. But also, like you have really great like established work and just the musicality, like it cuts up a comedy show really well where it's sort of just like the dynamics of it change the vibe a little bit. You get a little bit of comedy. It's, it's SNL, you know, you get a little bit of comedy, uh-huh. you get a song um, from a band. Maybe you recognize, maybe you're discovering. It's just like, it's always a nice time. So when I book or when we book musicians, that's the conversation. Mm-hmm. They push back and say, well, I'm not funny. And it's like, no, but what you do is it fits, you know, it just, it just does. Like you can play a sad song. Well, and like speaking of the Charleston community, so you had touched on this too, Henry, about, you know, you specifically wanted to move back to Charleston and how has the city itself contributed or helped to like cultivate what you all are building here? Cause I know, from reading your bio, y'all have big plans to create something here. Like almost like, it's almost like I get like a creative, like incubator kind of sense from you all of like what you're trying to build here. So has the city been able to support that or has it been a a hinder or hindrance? That's not even a word. A hinder? Is it? Hindrance? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a good SAT word. It's, Uh, I'd say it's hard to pinpoint any of it I mean I think we we definitely moved here with some experience we weren't like so so over it we were like late 20s we came in we hit it hard Mm -hmm. and did a lot of touring because we always play we're like are we catering towards the local market or Mm -hmm. are our dreams like are we trying to be everywhere national brand and so it was kind mm-hmm. of both. We didn't really know what to do we're like charleston's a great place to call home but if we can be on the road that's awesome it's like we built up all this momentum and then i was like what about kids yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, then we throw kids into the mix and like you're under a rock for no less than a year it's like then you start coming up and you're like oh where'd all that momentum go like hello we're still here mm-hmm. and then um like with success not being like a steep like so much of it is just lateral and being like oh well that paid off that thing I did eight years ago is now just like paying off for this reason or whatever so it has kind of had these like little blips on the thing so now we have two kids and are just kind of coming out of it being like oh my god like Rip City these past three have felt like like a totally different 
thing than mm-hmm. when you were performing for 15 people at the jazz house. Um, so hoping that what we've done is like encouraging people and just show like, I guess it's just leading by example of like, you mm-hmm. can do it. It should be done and it needs to be done. And we're just doing it because we love it so much and don't really see us doing anything else. Yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I, I have a million thoughts on this. Like I think, <laughs> I think about this like extensively, just like being yeah. here. I get, I could take up the whole podcast. Like, like I mean, I'm here for it because I think it's interesting, especially uh, specifically with musicians you like I don't know if there's not like a stigma around Charleston I think it's just more of like you have this idea that you have to live in a LA or a New York or in a larger city in order to really be successful and I don't know now after 2020 if that's necessarily true yeah. or the case that, and so such a shake up. Mm-hmm. like the institutions in Chicago are no longer the institutions in Chicago it's like everybody is kind of rattled by like where they're going. And so we are keeping up with our friends who are finding alternatives or finding like their scene again or starting something. And it feels like in a lot of ways, a lot of people are starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. And also it's interesting because the younger people coming in being like, oh, I thought I was supposed to go through these uh, outlets. And they're like, they're not there anymore. I guess I'm on the ground level with this like new thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. I mean, it, like, is, it is changing and it's evolving. And I think Charleston is experiencing like a, a real sort of like re-emergence of creative energy. Like it, every artist friend that I talk to right now, is like, we're, it feels like we're on the, onto something new here. And that's just the history of Charleston. I mean, it's always ebbed and flowed super hard, a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And it's mm-hmm. like, it really, the scene typically, I'm just a vast generalization. So mm-hmm. um, typically the scene is only as hot as like the most ambitious person within the little like sub genre who's driving it. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, in comedy world, like a, a, a recent example, right? When stand up was really, really hot in Charleston, when Dusty Slay was kind of leading the charge. It's mm-hmm. this like ambitious artist who is down to um, do the work and put in like the producing work and pull focus to Charleston. And then when Dusty moves, you know, Dusty and Derek Humphreys were kind of had this like with, with some local comedians as well, Jason Gross, Tim Heckle, they were like had this like really cool scene going. Mm-hmm. Dusty moves, Derek moves, and then there's this vacuum. And it's like, all right, well, who steps up next? There's not the infrastructure isn't there to hold the scene. It's only as hot as the as the person who's driving it, right? So then so then you get bands. It's the same way. Like bands, I don't have great examples off the top of my head, but you know, somebody gets really hot and it's like, oh, everybody's just like flocking to Royal American or Poorhouse or wherever. And it's like it feels really electric mm-hmm. based off of following for band and like their friends and they're all playing shows and it's really fun it's, it's the same in any anything and then like the band will move to LA or New York or wherever they, they're going to kind of like try to do their thing nationally mm-hmm. and it's just like the vacuum is felt in Charleston where it's like it is a small scene it kind of relies on the energy of that ambitious band that's like getting good mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of bringing people up with them so um, 
I don't know. Does that change? I, I, maybe it does. Like as people offer more platforms and venues to, to hold those people there, but ultimately these people are just trying to like make money doing art and it's, it's hard to do that here. And everybody's just trying to figure out how to do it. And so, but the conversation uh, recently has been more positive. Totally. Like six years ago, conversations were bleak. Yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Everybody was now out, it feels like know? across artistic platforms, there's, there's something like, like visual artists. Like I, that's what we love. Like the collaboration of just like, even these galleries and people making restaurants galleries. It's like, totally. that is so fun. And then like uh-huh. people being like, well, I'll play, I'll have my band play and you can hang your paintings. It's like, yes, yes, yes. Collaboration. Yes. I mean, I think ultimately more collaboration and sort of like cross mediums, you know, like where mm-hmm. visual art meets music and performance art and theater. Like as, as we have more artists that collaborate, um, because Charleston, I mean, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of school. It's a very much like I got this slice of the pie, you know, and I have to preserve my audience and I don't want anybody else to take from my audience. And that, you know, certainly coming up, in theater that has always felt the case of like once you have your your audience you know it's like i don't share i don't share my audience with people but it's like (laughs) charleston is is now becoming a big place and and there is room and there is enough for everybody to like succeed and and i think the spirit of collaboration would do charleston a lot of good to sort of like dust off the stuffy like old school Charleston art mentality and, and like usher in a new era of collaboration that I think is, is happening mm-hmm. right now. You know, I think, I think younger artists see it, they feel it, they prefer collaboration. And um, I think it builds respect, you know, it's like mm-hmm. the adage in improv, this is the corniest thing ever, but like uh, they say that if you treat other people like poets and geniuses and uh, brilliant artists, that you have a better chance of becoming that yourself. Uh-huh. So the more that you celebrate art that you enjoy, um, I don't know, you, that it's, it reflects good on your scene and your and your place and your people. And so uh-huh. I think well, we that's a, yeah. that. well, and I think you, I mean, that's a great point too, because it's not just about comedy or musicians I think it's just art in general the creative scene in Charleston and I'm glad that you said the word infrastructure because I like I don't understand like Charleston where is this at like why are we not making these efforts to build that infrastructure so you know I would love to hear like your your goals like what in five years from now what do you want to see and what do y'all want to build we would love to be venue owners. We definitely want to build a venue. We are actively looking. Yeah. If anybody <laughs> knows any and it any good leads. And on space. you know what? We are not um mattress firm. We can't compete. <laughs> we say that because the places we've looked so far. It's like it, I, I think I think ultimately infrastructure means there has to be like money and investment in the arts. And that's the part that I am like I'm clueless. That's yeah. So like I I don't know where where the city needs to step in. I don't know like on the venue side of it cuz I work at the music hall and the music farm and there definitely is like now like big corporate energy with like Live Nation coming <laughs> in to that where it's like it, you know what it, it, Charles Carmody built the hall from basically the ground up and now we now we have that Live Nation arm that provides the financial safety net but maybe at the expense of the experimental 
art stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just the reality of it. I mean, I'm not saying like good or bad. That's just sort of like, you got to keep the lights on. You got to pay the bills. Yeah. That's the equation that I think artists in Charleston and maybe business professionals in Charleston need to come together and figure that out because Charleston is just like top price, unaffordable. People cannot afford to open small businesses here. The money just out out matches anything. So if you go, I mean, if you want to get real depressed, go look at the price of rent on King Street and see if you can put a local business there. You can't. So so what happens? Is the, does the city subsidize for arts and, and local businesses? I don't know. I'm an artist. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. But that, I think that needs to happen. And so maybe if anybody's listening and, and knows, like reach out. I'd love to have the conversation. I would love to be educated on on how artists and young professionals can make space in Charleston and make it financially viable because there needs to be just more, more space. There needs to be more competition in arts venues because it will help venues innovate and keep audiences coming back. And that's what creates a happening scene where it's like, Oh, cool. Did you see poor houses doing this new thing? That's kind of cool. Maybe we'll do, you know, maybe we'll do that. And everybody kind of like, creates their own vibe based on on a more competitive and collaborative spirit of the arts um rather than like this is my slice don't 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 come at me bro yeah it's worth mentioning of like and not to be like the way we did it but like (laughs) our um our, our friend john brennan who opened up a theater in in savannah that is very much like inspiring us to do this uh his advice is to have a north star like what what is it that you want to create what's the business that you most admire that you want to and see and in in chicago there's the annoyance and that is what i think we want to open which is a theater and then in the front is a bar you can walk Um. in there were so many times at the annoyance where i would be at the bar getting ready to go into a show They would announce that the doors were open and people at the bar would go, this is a theater. And then it's like, not only is it like a cool place to hang, you're making your revenue, whatever at the bar, but people stumble into this thing. And then after the show, everyone just gets to hang out. There is not one venue in Charleston Mm -hmm. where the bar stays open long enough after the show for the audience to say, great job. How did you do that? What's your name? This is my name. Like there is no way, like you either have to be in the know and know where everyone's going after. Mm-hmm. And now we're all like in our thirties, like in older being like, I don't want to go to 10 other places or I don't like, I'm not getting in my car to go to yet another place. of like, mm-hmm. I just want to sit and have a drink and talk to either my friends or whoever this is. Like yeah, that part is so important to us. That is how, so many shows got written, started. It's how I would find out that you do graphic design. You can help mm-hmm. me out. It's like you found it's that part doesn't exist. I'll not interject. You, I'll interject here just to say, break my finger. Um, no, we're not trying to open each other. You don't need another bar. It's You're different. But that's I. I think it's my only counter to that would be like. I think music, again, where music inspires maybe the trajectory of the art scene and where like arts in general can take a page from what music has been doing in town for a long time is that the music venues are typically the ones, not all of them, because I know the farm closes right at the end of the show. Um, but like some music venue, like Royal, sometimes if the show's a little earlier, 
you have a little time to hang out. And, and I think Royal does a good job of creating that space for music. Uh, Poorhouse does that for music. Uh, there's a bunch of other great, I'm, I'm leaving people out. I just like default to those, I guess, but um, there's not a theater space or a, or a comedy space that facilitates the conversation further than the show itself. Mm-hmm. So like, it's always like doing theater or doing comedy. It's sort of like, where are we going to get a bite to eat afterwards? You know, mm-hmm. let's leave the venue and go somewhere else. It's like the annoyance, which is on its face an improv comedy theater, but they host theater events. They host all kinds of like oddball art stuff. They host national acts. And so that's sort of like, when we talk about our goals, where we see ourselves in five years, is creating that space in Charleston to host local, regional, and national acts. And that's how, and the whole mission is to grow Charleston as this hub. Like, if we can create more gravitational pull towards Charleston, then more national and regional acts go, hey, Charleston's kind of like a place where stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, what, whatever the reputation is now is is whatever it is. It's, it's hard to get to. You know, it's not off of 95. You know, artists skip it. A lot of times bands will go Charlotte to Atlanta and just skip South Carolina altogether. So there's work to be done there. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if you have a lively local scene that is competitive and collaborative, you start to make some waves where people outside of Charleston are going like, Hey, there's something cool going on in Charleston right now. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, you seize on that, you grow that, you start to bring in those regional acts. Those regional acts are touring all around the country saying like, Hey, you should definitely throw Charleston on your, on your tour. Then the national acts start to, you know, it's, it's a slow growth process. It's already kind of in the works, but that ebbs and flows as well. So the goal is to like make more space for that to, grow and Mm -hmm. and connect to Charleston meet Charleston where they are rather than like shaming them for being like you should go out and support arts it's like no make an art (laughs) venue that's cool yeah and that people want to go to and support yeah Yeah. well and so there is a new theater company in town the void void theater company which is really exciting because Mara you just directed their first play succulents the art of adulting so how does this hat come off of improv comedy and then the director hat come on or is there not an exchange of changing roles or hats and it's always just helpful in this directing role it was very cool to be it's funny I just met with them this morning we had like our kind of wrap up like how it went um having experience being um a performer um I think helped of just like what what to expect of people and like knowing that people are just people and have things on their plate and and stuff happens Mm -hmm. uh I told him it was interesting because this is one of the first times where I had like a um official title of like um uh what is it when you're like leading somebody oh my god this is like (laughs) I am the baby of the family I like to be led around and told what we're having for dinner and like where we're going I do not need to make those kind of decisions Mm -hmm. um so like leadership roles you're the role model I like to I guess lead by example I don't typically put myself in like I'm the official leader and everyone listens to my idea so it was fun to 
be in in a leadership position, but to give them the power to try. So improv mm-hmm. was a lot of it of being like, hey, here are the lines. Like you're angry, but does angry always sound angry? Like sometimes like it, it comes out in a way you're not expecting in the moment. So let, mm-hmm. let, let's have fun and play with that. Um, I was definitely trying to find the humor in it because a humorless drama is uh, agonizing and unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Like you have to cut that tension somehow. Um, so it was awesome. It was such a small cast. It was four people. I just think they all came in like rock stars, knew their lines. And then from there we got to to play and just, um, it was so fun. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I thought I would like it. I didn't know if I would be good at it. I I think it was successful. <laughs> I just kept telling them like, if it went great, we all get great. If if it sucks, it's my fault. And I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and from what I heard, it was extremely successful. And I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was, awesome. it was best case scenario. I kept telling them, I'm like, it's the first show from a brand new company. I was like, everyone in this room is friends, family, people who want to see you succeed. I was like, you'll never have this again. Like, when is mm-hmm. it ever just people who are so invested in your success of like have fun like this is so cool like <laughs> it's exciting it's just it kind of like revives like it's exciting to have new new ideas new you know a new theater company in the mix and it's mm-hmm. it's fun the opening night was like everybody from theaters all over charleston were there it was it was yes. really cool you know pure was out supporting you know queen street playhouse it was it was a really cool but- like supportive you know collaborative environment but yeah maybe it is like I often feel like a theater outsider like I know Mm -hmm. that I like to perform but I definitely don't have like the backlog of shows or I don't have that knowledge like I went to school for it but I was kind of like put out the door doing improv um so it's not precious to me I think it's I like it and I think it's so important and I have that relationship with it, but there's a lot that I can just kind of allow because, um, because I think it does have to, it will resonate with people and you have Mm -hmm. to give them the space to, to let it hit them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was so, it was so, so fun. It was. (laughs) Do you think you'll direct more plays in the future? Uh, yeah, I, what, I mean, Shannon asked me to do it. So uh, my first like selfish knee jerk reaction was to say yes. Cause I was just flattered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, hey, I'll do it. You think I can? Um, but talking with my friends, my friend, um, Sarah, who directed me in Chicago has now gone on to teaching it at Northwestern has like a master's in directing. So I called her for tips and she was uh-huh. just like, I know. Right. Like, I know. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it's, it's a very um, individual journey. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I definitely want to touch on too, like besides that show specifically, we got to talk about y'all's shows coming up because you have three yes. more Rip City shows that are coming out. You have one in February, March, and April. And the one in April is on a boat. Oh yeah. Right? Okay. On a boat, baby. Let's bring it back to how we steal from music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, this is funny. The April 30th show is on the Charleston Princess, mm-hmm. which is like a harbor cruise boat. And, um, yeah, Kaylin Oyer, who writes for the Post and Courier, uh, is it? is a good friend and she posted pictures from a show that she saw from 1770 records, which is the college of Charleston record label, shout out CFC mm-hmm. record label. Um, and she just had these pictures of like a band, like a rock band playing on a boat. And I was just like blown away and messaging her being like, what is this? What is this <laughs> show? I didn't see anything about this. Like what? This is the best idea ever. Mm-hmm. How do we put a show on a boat? I want, I want to do this show. Um, and actually, apparently that show on a boat happens every year. They do that show every year with 1770. Um, and it's like a big hit. And, um, man, I just, I, again, just love cool ideas. Like, uh-huh. like let those ideas live yeah. and grow. And like, that's so fun. I was like, immediately I was like, I want to put Rip City on a boat. Yeah. It's just a bunch of weird comedians and artists doing a, you know, a cocktail cruise in the harbor. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, what's better? And, and the first three, I guess the first installment uh-huh. sold out. So, I mean, Crazy. we can Crazy. only assume that this one will sold out as sell out as well. They've been selling it. And I think it's just sort of this like ravenous nature to like consume the arts in Charleston. There's like a really just good energy. Everybody's hungry to see shows. Like we've even been out to see shows and all the shows that we go to are packed. Everybody we're talking to is like their shows are doing well. So I think, it is that like a rising tide lifts all boats. Like our shows are doing really well right now. We were blown away. We, you know, Rip City has, has seen audiences from 10 people to 50 people, you know, it just really mm-hmm. ebbs and flows again. But like when we brought it back in November, everybody was so excited. We didn't have any pre-sale tickets. We ended up selling near 150 tickets at, at the door. It was like insanity. And then like, just been a lot of a lot of buzz which is like we didn't expect but are really really happy to just get the reputation for giving away money at your show oh yeah we did give away away 100 bucks (laughs) well and i always like to conclude our conversation i know i had sent this over so i'm very intrigued to see what y'all are going to say but I always like to ask everyone, like, what's your entrance song? And so I might need to change that because it's probably more of like a hype song. So like, right. and it can be just of the moment or maybe it's been with you for your entire life. But do you have a specific song that's like, fuck yeah, this is it. I'm amped. Let's do this. <laughs> it's always changing. That's a tough question because it, it changes. Mm-hmm. Um and it could be of the moment. Like, yeah, like it could be this week and the next week is completely different. Um, I will. It's not like the best like hype up song, but um, Elvis Costello, Pump It Up. Mm. It's always like a big one. Like we, we did, when we did our video for Buy a Car, we sent a screenshot to Tess Thomas to be like, hey, can you make this band set up like for props? Because we're pretty much just going to go shot for shot with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one like that starting like kind of beat will get me going yeah that's a great one it's a great song hmm. Hmm. what is it what is the song right so, now there's oh we were well you think do you need to think yeah I'm gonna think um <laughs> no, you were saying because um you were saying how does music play into the show and it's funny because we do 
what works for a comedy show. Like you want to keep the energy up. You want to like go. So it's not even our like favorite genre of music, but like almost like house music with something with like a drop, Mm -hmm. like works so well as transition music. Where like, would I sit down and just like listen to our show music? Like, no, never. (laughs) Oh yeah, we, like, yeah. We good one. We're like, ah, oh, that's great. We're like, do I like this song? Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you're like, no, I don't like that song. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what I envision for y'all. Like, you're getting up in the morning with your two small children <laughs> making breakfast, and you have house music just blaring. Yeah, all over. <laughs> <laughs> I would just walk around in in dim blue light, moving things from place to place. <laughs> all right, I think I'll go with this one just because this has been like. uh just one I've been spinning a lot. There's, there's a comedian out in LA named Whitmer Thomas mm-hmm. who does sort of like a comedy music show, but he just put out a record recently and he's got a song called Rigamarole that is uh, a real earworm. It's real fun, dancey. Um, and he, yeah, he's just like, uh, kind of like, uh, kind of an emo poet, but like with a comedy spin. So it's just like a funny, like throwback to like early 2000s emo influence um mm-hmm. but he's just he's got a sense of humor about it it's it's very fun i like it so it's now something new that we all need to educate ourselves on and listen Check out Robert Thomas. that's another that's an artist that we want to bring here you know, yeah. educate, educate people about it and then also oh can we plug we we haven't really announced anything yes yet. We, we don't have any we don't have anything to announce but uh we are writing a brand new nameless numberhead show which is our two-person show that we probably haven't done in Four or five years, probably since we had our son Arlen. That sounds That's right. <laughs> so sounds right. We're gonna be getting back out there, hopefully around May. Question mm-hmm. mark. May is our May. That sounds good. We'll go with May. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully, if anybody still knows who we are, <laughs> it's so funny. Like everybody, we, we work with so many new artists, and there's just constantly a rotating cast of of faces around charleston that um when we say nameless number people think of the videos and the live show that we used to do is so completely different than the videos that uh i'm actually really excited to like bring it back and and show people like the like the nameless number head show that was yeah well and also too yesteryear Well, and I'll make sure to link the YouTube channel that you guys have, because I was watching some of your videos, like the the Lemonade one, and then I think it's Spilato Boy. Spilato Boy. Yeah. And I was like... Spilato Boy this year, come back. Okay. (laughs) So... Spilato Boy just loves art. He just loves the arts. I mean, and there's a lot in Charleston to take in. Yeah. Yeah. So how can people follow you, support you, tell us all the things? Where are you guys online? Well, you know we're kind of social media dinosaurs, but you can find us on uh, Instagram at Nameless Numberhead. We also have a Rip City page at Rip City CHS, monthly shows for Rip mm-hmm. City. Um, where else can you find us? NamelessNumberhead.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. Sometimes oh, yeah. go out. Yeah. We announced the boat early on that. And boy, our followers jumped on. Love it. to know that piece of gossip early. <laughs> jumped on that boat. We're, yeah. Hopefully we'll utilize these tools that are available to us more. So yeah, mm-hmm. sign up for our, our newsletter. Yeah. We, we try to send it out once a month to just kind of update people on what's going on. 
Hell yeah. I mean, that's how I found out. Like I have the email. So those are super helpful. Oh, nice. I mean, I'm like, oh, hell. I think that's actually how this whole interview like intro came. I like responded. To oh yeah. That's great. <laughs> I mean, true. The best way to get in touch with us is at a show where, um, I think now because you see familiar faces at a rip city, uh, people think that there's a set cast and it is truly open to anyone. So there are two steps to being on rip city and it is, uh, going to see a show and then reaching out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a real streamlined process to getting on the show. If you've seen the show, you kind of get the spirit of it. And then you just tell us you want to do it. And you That's don't have to have any sort of uh, like experience or background. Like you can just. All you need is that inspiration, that inspirato. Oh. Come see the show, and then like if it if it. If it uh, stirs something within you, then that's, yeah. and you feel compelled to do it. You can, yeah, you, you can you, come in with a crew, you, you can do solo, you can ask anyone on who is booked for that month to jump in and support. Um, yeah, it's super collaborative. It skews comedy and music, but like, we want to break that down. You know, we mm-hmm. were talking with some burlesque artists and yeah. uh, dancer. We did, we trying to get like, outside of our circle so if you you know it's hopefully like a friend tells a friend tells a friend and we kind of grow the the circle of artists a little bit mm-hmm. and expand on on what it can be that would be super dope you guys should have like ballerinas and pole dancers like that, that yeah, i've got a tease we have a um a uh a classically trained violin player uh who's going to be doing a bit at an upcoming that's a perfect exclusive because I didn't even know that that's a little little teaser drop there and you're not gonna go I'm hearing this for the first time yeah this is kind of breaking (laughs) on the Disco TV podcast there you go I mean it's an exclusive and you don't know which episode you don't know which installment if it's the February March or April yeah, so you, so gotta you gotta get, all get your tickets for February 18th at Silver Hill Studios March 25th at Lo-Fi Brewing yeah April 30th on a boat when you hear these sweet violin sounds, will you be in a brewery? Will you be on a boat? Will you be in a photo studio? We don't know yet. We don't know where you'll be. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Be with us. <laughs> so did I miss anything? Anything else you guys want to plug before we decide to part ways for the day? Any final words, parting thoughts? No, just a general enthusiasm and excitement <laughs> for like the trajectory I guess, all right, I will share one last thing is that okay. um, the new sort of like mantra or like framing our our sort of like production mentality this this year has been sort of like showing the people the joy of it um, rather than coming at it from a place of like, I haven't been able to do something at a place, but more so I enjoy doing this. I like doing this. And I want to like, I want to share this with people and hopefully spreading that like a positive message. It's easy to get grumpy. Rather than a grumpy message. <laughs> it's so easy to get grumpy. It's, it's, it's way harder to be positive. And so that's, we're pushing ourselves to, to really like lean into the joy factor of it all. And like, hopefully showing, showing people that we love to do this and, Hopefully that comes through in the work. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's like you're touching people, but you're not physically touching them. 
That's right. Yeah. We're reaching yeah. them. <laughs> people where they are. I mean, it, to your point, it is harder to stay positive and it's so much easier to be on this other, like of the other end of the feelings of just kind of negative. Just look at Twitter. It's so easy to get grumpy. <laughs> That's true. Social media in general is, yeah. you know, it's a dumpster fire, but yeah. Yeah. that's why you gotta that's why that's why you gotta spread joy that's why i think with, maybe that's even why people are like fired up for arts right now they need they need the other side they need the they need the positivity they need a little bit of brain exercise that isn't um the bleak yeah well and it's and i mean you bring laughter and i think at the end of the day it's like you just need to laugh because yeah i mean shit can be hard shit can be ugly and it's just like you guys are bringing joy the best way you can and why not? You know, right on. I try. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate your time. You guys were awesome. Thank you. Okay. Thanks guys.